much for everything that you've done for us and for the whole human race. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you that you gave him to us, that he came, became born of a woman, the remaining God, the Son, went to the cross, and in his humanity died for us on the cross, and he was buried. And on the third day, Father, you raised him from the dead, and we thank you so much for that. And we also thank you, especially now, for your grace and the fact that salvation is by grace through faith. And this morning, Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us and all the goings on here, that we all would be able to understand the message and the meaning that is behind the words of the scriptures we will be in this morning. And we also pray for the needs of the saints. And we do all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You would stand at this time, and we will uh, testing. One, two, three. Okay, good. All right, again, everybody, next Sunday is uh, the first Sunday of October, so we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper at that time. Secondly, Pastor Kingsley will be taking a mission trip to the West Indies in November, from November 1st to the 15th, 2022. Please keep him in prayer. Thirdly, Pastor Adams in India, um, there's an opportunity that we've taken on to give to a Grace Leprosy home that he's starting up now. If you recall, I I had mentioned that church had helped him out a little bit with some medicine and and, uh, other things that they needed when they were in the hospital. And now these people are starting to come out of the hospital and they need a place to stay. Some of them, they're very poor, particularly the elderly. and so we, we're working together with Pastor Adams to provide some financial support for that. And so, um, and this is a situation where, in addition to the church as an entity providing finances, we're also asking and giving you the opportunity to help. Okay. Um, it is a commitment. It is, a, and, but I wanted to just give you a, a sense of who these people are. Um, and this is while they're still in the hospital. Um, and you can see that the situation in the hospital is a little cramped and crowded. Um, and I just want you to see them there in the hallway. By the way, um, that happens in the United States, too. As a matter of fact, when I was in the emergency room, I was in a hallway, but only for only for about six hours. But in any event, um, those are the, those are the people, young, old, male, female. Here's Pastor Adams bringing some supplies to a young man. Um, you can see he's pretty emaciated and dirty sick. Um, in addition, um, let me show you this, a, a female child, okay, and then also another part, the other young man um, who's being helped, he's on oxygen, and then an elderly person. This could be one of the people that um, that Pastor Adams wants to help in this Grace Leprosy home. So, um, again, it's uh, a Grace Leprosy home. They're trying to house 35 residents. That, that they're going to have to, of course, rent the facilities, provide them meals, provide the utilities, and so forth. That works out to be about a thousand dollars a month. Okay, just to give you a sense of it. Um, and again, the church is planning um, to to support this as an entity. Um, we'll, we'll, but at the same time, we want to make it also something a giving opportunity for you, so that you can also support directly some really worthy work in the, in the mission field. Um, so if you decide to do that, by the way, it's $1,000 a month. We are going to commit for 12 months to do this. So that just give you a sense. Um, there is a there is a, a time period that we're going to be supporting um, them for. Now, because Pastor Adams doesn't have a website, um, when we give, we give by Western Union. 
And because of that, to simplify that, because this information you have to get individually. So we don't want to ha you to have to do that. And so what we're asking would be that you would just direct your gift to Lighthouse Bible Church, but to indicate that it's for the Grace Leprosy Home. We're going to bundle it all together every month and then send send it over. Um, if you're if you're on PayPal, there I guess there's a place where you can say um, instructions to seller. I know some of you know this. I'm still learning some of this stuff, but but if you want that on PayPal, anyway, a lot of people use that now. There's also a place where you can indicate that you want the gift to be for Grace Leprosy Home, and I believe it's called instructions to to seller. Okay. All right. With that, um, the big thing, in addition to, of course, any financial support you might be able to give, is to keep them in prayer for this, for the success of this, and for the people to heal and so forth. All right, let's begin our message at this time. Please turn to John chapter 11, verse 33. John chapter 11, verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, that's Mary, Lazarus' sister, and the Jews who had come with her also were weeping. He was deep, deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved them, him. He loved them all, but see how he loved him. In the face of the death of his dear friend Lazarus, Jesus was troubled. He was agitated. He was upset. He wept for his friends, Martha and Mary. He was angry at death itself. He railed against death. All of this shows his humanity. This is humanity. In other words, these are all things that we do. I could put it that way, right? In the face of death, that can be troubling to us. We can be upset about it. We can weep for our friends and family members. And so that, this is one of the passages that brings out the humanity of Christ to a, to a great degree and intensity. And, and Jesus is human in every way that we are, except for one thing, and that is he is sinless while we are sinful. He was, he was born without sin, and he never sinned throughout his whole life. He was mortal, though. Not only could he rail against death, when it occurred to others like his friends, he himself would face death. And that's something else he has in common with every human being. So taking our cue from John 11, 33 to 36, where the humanity of Jesus is front and center, we are now starting to examine what the Bible tells us about what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? The, the Bible, after all, is, a, is a, a series of messages from God to human beings. It's not written for the angels. It's not written for anybody else, not written for any other creation than the human creation. Okay, so it's God speaking to human beings. So in that, there's a, a lot of information about God, about Jesus Christ, but also about who we are, human beings, who we were, we'll see about this, who we are now, why we became what we, who we are now, and also what it is that we 
will become, could become in the future. When we say that Jesus is human, then, what do we mean by that? In other words, what does it mean to be human? This morning, the title of today's message comes from the book of Genesis, and we're going to be there in a little while. We're going to go to Psalm 8 first. And this is where we get our first answer to the question, what does it mean to be human? We're going to look at the original plan of God for what he intended humanity to be. We're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis where God says, let us make man in our image. So let's begin. What does it mean to be human? Well, we saw that Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark, we were there a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the fact that we are to love God with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Now, I will say this, that while that is the ideal we fall short of that. We have, as a matter of fact, the, when he says that you're to love God with all your strength, he means with your entire body. But of course, our body is falling. So try as we might, we're going to fall short of that perfect standard of loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Nevertheless, Jesus identified the the, 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 the essence in that of what it means to be human, or at least some of the fundamental things about what does it mean to be human. To be human, and we saw this two weeks ago, is to have a heart. We define that I define the heart as the place of desire and the place of decision making. To have a soul, our identity, who we are as individuals, a mind that can think and imagine and create and, and perceive, and of course a body. This is what it means to be human. And by the way, this is what it, this is uniquely description, unique description of God, one of God's creations. In other words, there's things here that um, no other creation has the whole combination. Animals have bodies, but they don't have a soul and a mind. They may have a brain, but they don't have a mind. All right. Angels, we don't exactly know, but they have an entity. They have a soul. They have state. They're being material, though. They don't have a body. So this is unique. God has crafted the human being as unique. And we're going to see not only that, but we're going to see his original lofty position in the plan of God. And to start with that, let's turn this morning to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. What does it mean to be human? Psalm 8 asks that question and provides an answer. And they'll be the starting point for our understanding what the Bible has to say about what it means to be human. Look at Psalm chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 3 this morning. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? and the son of man that you care for him. The psalmist here is talking to the Lord in prayer. The psalms very often are prayers. And he's saying, Lord, when I think about all this creation out there, when I think about everything that's in the heavens, I think about the sun and the moon and the stars, when I think about all the creation and how you are, you are the one who brought all of that into being. You're the one who sustains all of that. When I think of the awesomeness of all of that, and I think back at little old me, I ask the question, well, who are we? We're this little, minuscule 
hard. You think about the and, and whatever the psalmist knew back then about what was up there in the stars. And the, we know so much more now. We know it's even much, much more expansive and vast and creative and amazing. And in light of that, and you come right back down to earth, you come right down to a, to a human being and they ask, who are we? What is man that you even take thought of us? And the son of man that you care for him? Yet, yet, yet says, pay attention to this because whatever you just thought about what man could be, there's, there's, it's way beyond what you think. Yet, Lord, God, you have made him a little lower than God. In other words, in the whole ranking of, of the universe, there's God, and then there's his creation that's just underneath God, and that's man, at least in the original design. And yet you have made him a little lower than God. And notice, you crown him with glory and majesty. This was God's intention for the human race. He, he wanted to create, um, as it were, the pinnacle, the height of his creation to be this one who would be able to rule and rule with glory and majesty right below God. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. In other words, the psalmist started out thinking about the stars and thinking about the earth and thinking about what's in the sea and, and, and the birds and all of that. And now he finds out, or he, he speaks of the truth, that, Lord, you have made man to rule over all the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Now, I want to remind you, this is talking about the original design of man. Okay? We don't fit this anymore, but there's one who does. And this is, this is the, we think about, I want you to think about the human race in terms of stages, in terms of how, how we were originally designed, and then how we fell, and then how, how God responded to that. He was determined to have this human, this humanity that he originally designed. Okay, Even when man made the decision to not to be that, essentially to say, we don't don't want to be right below God. We want to be our own thing. God was not done. He says, you know, I am going to get what I want out of this human creation one way or the other. And that other way, of course, was Jesus Christ. As we're going to see in a minute, Psalm 2 is cited in Hebrew. So we're going to go from Psalm, Psalm 8, rather, from Psalm 8, which gives us the original design. And then we're going to go to Hebrews 2. And we're going to see, as a matter of fact, that even though man fell, the, the Lord figured out a way, God, the Father, figured out a way to get a human being that was everything that he originally designed humanity to be. Again, verse 6, you make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. See, God designed all of that for us to rule over, for humanity to rule over, humanity to make use of. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Designed to be put under the feet of man and for him to rule over all of this and to crown him, 
the highest creation. That all the beasts of the field, all the birds, all the fish of the sea, anything that passes through the paths of the seas. And then verse 9. Oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So Psalm 8 describes man as God originally intended him to be. Whenever you want to understand the essence of something in the Bible, you should always go back to the beginning, go back to the source when it first comes on the scene. For example, what's the essence of Satan? Well, when he first comes on the scene, what is he like, right? In in, in Genesis chapter Chapter three, he's crafty. He hates all things about God. He wants to destroy. Okay, he lies. Okay. But humanity, the original design, it was for that, for all the things that Psalm 8 talks about. As God originally intended man to be. We were to be God's, and we still are in some respects. But the humans are to be, were designed to be God's finest creation of all, made to rule over all the works of his hands. But something happened. But something happened. Well, as I mentioned already, Psalm 8 is cited, and it's interesting. It's cited without attribution. It's really interesting. We'll see this in a minute. The writer of Hebrews, who doesn't get attribution either, says, it says somewhere this. It's interesting. Well, and of course, we'll see that in a minute. But the reason why that can happen, and it's not a mistake, or it's not an error, or anything like that, is because the whole Bible in God's mind is one unity, of a, you know, one message. And, and we have to divide it up in order for us to take it in a little bit of time. But God doesn't. God has the whole thing at his disposal anytime. In any event, Psalm 8, cited without attribution in Hebrews chapter 2. I'd like you to turn now to Hebrews chapter 2, starting at, we'll start in verse 5 in a moment. And as you might expect, Hebrews chapter 2, since it cites this psalm that describes what man was supposed to be, well, in Psalm chapter 2 is all about humanity, but it's about a unique humanity, the humanity of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, because he's perfect. He's the only one who could have gone to the cross and died for us. He's the first human being that God has raised from the dead and given a resurrection body. Now, of course, by saying that, I am not dismissing his deity. But we're focused on his humanity. Jesus is both. He's the son of God, completely God. And he's human, completely, perfectly human. Well, in Hebrews chapter 2, that the humanity of Jesus is the subject. And I want to just note, I don't have a slide for this, but I just want to note in passing, if you're looking at the Bible and you want to say, you know, where can I go to find the humanity and the deity of Christ side by side, presented together in in magnificent ways? Well, the two places you want to go for that are the Gospel of John and the book of Hebrews. Okay, now we're starting in chapter two of the book of Hebrews, but in chapter one, which we won't go to this morning, It's all about Jesus in his deity, right? God, the Father, actually calls the Son of God, God, Jesus, God, 
It's one of the places where Jesus is described as God. It's in Hebrews chapter one. So in chapter one, God, Jesus is God. Chapter two, Jesus is human. Okay. Just like in the Gospel of John, the word God became flesh. Like in one verse, we see that humanity and the deity of Christ interlocked side by side. All right. Hebrews chapter two is about the humanity of Christ, but also the reason why God had to become human, too. The reason why God's son took flesh. Now, you might say, well, isn't that just something that God decided he wanted to do? Well, of course. But there was a reason why he decided to do that. He had the original design of man. But now, as time moves on, and man, of course, we know he fell. Now, God was not through with the human race. He was not through. And he was going to bring on planet Earth the perfect human who never stopped being God for a reason. There was a reason why God's son took flesh. Let's look now at our passage, Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2. For he, God, did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, there it is. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. I want you to, to, to I'll, I'll point this out, but when we go to Hebrews chapter 2, and I've already told you it's about the humanity of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews changes, adds to in some places, what was, in, was originally in, in, in Psalm 8. He introduces it by talking about angels and how that he, the God didn't, is not subjecting the world to come to angels, but to somebody else. Jesus, of course. But one is testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him? Or the son of man. Well, of course, the son of man in the New Testament is always talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it, that you are concerned about him. You have made him for a little while. Notice that this is different. Before in Psalm 8, it said you have made him a little lower than God, right? Well, here it says you have made him also for a little while lower than the angels. Now, that's different. You see why? Because God originally designed human beings to be second in rank. But because something happened, now he had to bring his son on the scene. And for a little while, Jesus Christ was lower than the angels for a little while. That's quite something when you think about it. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have appointed him over the works of your hands, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, in Psalm 8, he talks about you have, you have put all things under his feet. Well, the writer of Hebrews adds something. Can you see that? He says in subjection under his feet. What does that mean? It means that when the, the creation fell, it rebelled against Jesus, the Lord and God. And therefore, when Jesus comes, he has to put things back in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. 
but now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. We do not yet see it, even though God has done it, even though in the original design God did it. But now here we don't, don't see it. Well, of course, that's a great indication that something happened. Something happened to man. We were designed so that all things would be under our feet. But but now we have we have we're in a place where we don't see that. We don't even see it with Jesus, right? Not yet. Okay, so something happened. As we know, man fell short of the glory that God designed him to have. And this is the ultimate tragedy of the human race. Can you imagine that we were we were supposed to be the crown? We were supposed to be the king. We were supposed to be the leadership of all of God's creation on earth and in the sea and in the sky. And yet we we don't we're not that. We're not that. We were not supposed to die, and yet we do die. Well, because man falls short in the fall of the glory that God designed us to have. That's a, that is a catastrophe. That is a, 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 the worst tragedy you can imagine. But God wasn't through. Look at verse 9. Now we see the transition. Sure, Psalm 8 says this about man. There's some indications already. That something happened, and then, then we zoom right in, verse 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Ah, now it's crystal clear. The writer's talking about Jesus in terms of Psalm 8. That he was made for a little while lower than the angels. But then notice this. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. What is this saying? Well, it's saying originally man was crowned with glory and honor. We saw that. But something happened. And now Jesus is brought, is born of a virgin and comes here, and he is going to be crowned again as a human being with glory and honor. But something had to happen first. You see, what? The suffering of death. Death was not God's original design, but it became part and parcel of what it means to be human, right? To be human not only includes having a mind, a heart, a soul and a body, but also now mortality, dying. All of us have a body that's going to die. All of us do. But Jesus Christ was here to, to bring back the glory of, the, of humanity. But he had to go through the same death that we all face. And think of it. God's son had to come. He had to humble himself. He had to, even though he was the creator of all things, make himself lower than the angels of creation and he had to die now all of that in order to restore what god's originally planned the human race to be you see how god wasn't through with the human race when we fell but think about what he had to do in order to restore humanity to the original design that god had he had to have god his son take human flesh and die so that by the grace of God, at the end of verse 9, he, Jesus Christ, might taste death for everyone. In other words, his death was the ultimate event in the human race that transforms and gives the possibility. And so that, that the fact that he tasted death meant that this was now a way for every human being to, to go through death and come out alive. So that by the grace of God... He might taste death for everyone. 
In other words, God's son was born to undo damage, all the damage that occurred to the human race, and to restore man to God's original design. But to accomplish that, he had to die. And again, death was not part of God's original design for mankind. Think about it. God does, didn't, never wanted any human being to die. That was not part of it. We're going to see this when we go to the book of Genesis. There's no mention of death in Genesis chapter 1 or Genesis chapter 2. That was not part of God's original design for the human race. And yet God's son actually had to come and become human and die for mankind. And, and remember Jesus, when he, when he was face to face with the death of Lazarus, he got upset. He, he was moved, but he was also angry. He was also angry. He was angry at the fact that God's original design, man, was marred to the extent that now human beings had to die. And he understood the pain of death. He understood what it meant as the ultimate failure of the human race. But that also, there was somebody else behind it, that, that man had help falling. And so ultimately, Jesus' anger is directed at the one who now has the power of death. Because he's the one who brought death into the human race by tempting Adam and the woman. Verse 10, Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him, God the Father, from whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Can you see it now? Now, not only do we have a picture of God's son and the glory that he has, but also that that by dying and rising from the dead, now he can bring many sons to glory. It's not just about him. It's also about a whole group of human beings who are going to follow with him. They're going to be under him, as it were, with him as the head and he, and us as the body, as the ones that are um, under the head, Jesus Christ. Again, through, for it was fitting for God the Father for whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. The author of their salvation here, the Lord Jesus Christ. The suff notice that the goal was to bring many sons to glory. There's this thing called salvation that Jesus comes on the scene. Salvation is deliverance from something, rescue from something, rescuing us from condemnation, from death from sin itself, but he had to go through suffering to do that. Let me mention also, suffering was not God's original design for man. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we think about ourselves now, and there's all kinds of suffering, isn't there? Many kinds. There's there's physical suffering in our bodies. Our body is fallen now. It's not part of the original design. It's, it, it was, it's not immortal. It's mortal. It can die. And by the way, in the meantime, during this life, our body is the source of good things, but also a lot of pain, a lot of pain, right? All of us can relate to that. I've never known a human being who never had pain in his or her body. We all have it. But not only do we have physical pain, we have emotional pain. There's something wrong, not only with the material part of us, but also the immaterial part. Our heart can be broken. Our mind can be confused. Our, our soul can be rattled. This was not part of the original design. This is suffering that came about 
because of the fall of man. And guess what? It was all placed upon the author of our salvation, Jesus Christ. In other words, he had to come and face down the fact, all of the things that happened when man fell. He had to face them down. He was not a part of it. He was sinless. But he had to come and defeat all of that stuff. And the way he defeated it was by going through it himself. Not only death, but also suffering. Verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, Jesus Christ, and those who are sanctified, we're now set apart. There is a group of human beings that are now set apart and are put under the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer under the condemnation of sin and death, but under Jesus. Those who are sanctified, all from one Father. We call God the Father just like Jesus Christ does. And for this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus calls you and I his brothers and sisters. All, all from one father. Verse 12, I will put, saying, I will proclaim your name, Father, to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him all the way to his death on the cross. And behold, I, and now look who's with me, the children whom you, Father, have given me. Verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, right, that's part of what it means to be human, with flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, also partook of the same, flesh and blood, so that through death, notice now, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So in other words, now we're getting to the heart of why Jesus was so angry when he faced death at the tomb of Lazarus. Because he realized who had the power of death. Ultimately, he was angry at the devil, at Satan, for all that he had done. For the fact that not only had he tempted Adam to fall, but now he is in our lives trying to destroy all the human beings in any way that he can. And not only that, but he, he, is, the, he is the one who has, this, is, has the strings of fear by, by having the power of death, the devil. And then notice verse 15. By Jesus dying, what did he do? Might free us. Free us from what now? From the fear of death. Not only from death, but the fear of it. The fear of it. The fear of it is an overwhelming thing for the human race. People are afraid to die. People are afraid to get sick because they might die. People are afraid that they'll lose loved ones to death. There's all this fear associated with death. Well, Jesus came to free us from that. Amen? So that... But no, why? Because if you're afraid of death, you're a slave. Because of the fear of death, human beings were subject to slavery all their lives. Every day of their life, there's a consciousness of the fact that we're mortal. Maybe we're sick. Maybe we're in pain. All right, that's a slavery. If we if we allow it to get us to, to for us to be afraid of it, for assuredly, he does not give help to angels. Jesus came not for angels, but for human beings. But he does give help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Can you see what a great passage this is about the humanity of Christ explaining why he had to become human? He had to be made like his brethren in all things. Notice something else here. This is another reason why Jesus had to become human. What is it? So that he, Jesus, might become a merciful and faithful high priest. A high priest is one who offers sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. 
He's also the one who is the advocate, the intermediary between human beings and God. Now, that's no longer true. We don't have human beings anymore, fallible, fallen human beings that are our priests anymore. In the Old Testament, which is what the book of Hebrews is pointing back to, there was the high priest, and his duty was, was, was to represent the people in their sinfulness before God. It was only he, the high priest, after all, who could go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in the temple, just once a year, in order to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. Well, now Jesus is our faithful and merciful high priest. And you see, he had to be human to be that. God can't represent himself to God. When you think about it, there's no reason, right? But there is a reason for for Jesus to represent human beings before God. But in order to do that, he had to be human himself. Why? Because the high priest is human. His humanity was necessary in order for him to become our faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Again, verse 17, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, flesh and blood, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And notice, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, he was doing in the same role as the high priest in the Old Testament was in the sense of addressing the sins of the people before God. And, of course, in the Old Testament, the the, uh, the high priest uses the blood of a sacrifice to do that. Well, of course, the blood of an animal was never really going to get to the heart of taking care of sin. What it only could do would be to cover it so that man didn't didn't have to uh, be under that 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 domination and, and guilt of it so they could get back to their lives here on Earth. But it didn't get rid of sin. All right. Only the blood of Christ could do that. Only Jesus Christ could be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. And that's another reason why he had to be human. Verse 18. For since he himself noticed this too, another aspect of his humanity, he was tempted. Imagine that, that God designed this so that not, not only was his son, God the son, become born of a virgin and live a life just like we live, a life of where he was thirsty and tired and had pain and was betrayed by people and ultimately had to die. He also had to be tempted, which is an amazing thing. Why? Well, the reason is, by the way, for that is that how did this all begin? How did the fall of man start? With a temptation, right? With a temptation. A temptation to take the one thing that God said, don't, don't take, right? That was a temptation. And so because of temptation, that led to sin. To reverse that, not only did did Jesus Christ have to be our high priest, have to suffer and die on the cross as our substitute, but he also had to be tempted. Because why? He's undoing all of that. Undoing all the things that, that were part of the fall of man, he is now reversing. But that means something else. Because, you know, we're here on earth. Boy, we're tempted. We're, we're tempted and our enemies so what the, the flesh we're tempted by the sin in our very bodies the world we're tempted tempted by the enticements of the world the arrogance of the world the things of the world and us too even the the the, 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 the principalities and powers all right so because that jesus was tempted in what he was that he suffered now he's able to come to our aid he understands what it is to be tempted he 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 provides what we need 
in order to resist the temptation. And when we fall for it, he's our advocate before the Father. For all of these reasons, then, this passage we just read this morning is a magnificent passage on the humanity of Jesus Christ. It's hard to find a more magnificent passage, more complete, more descriptive, saying this is these are all the reasons why Jesus had to come than Hebrews 2, 5 to 18. Jesus was born of a woman. He grew up. He lived among men. He died to undo the works of the devil. And then he was raised from the dead. Now, this had never happened before. Notice this. And ascended into heaven and is seated in glory now at the right hand of the Father. What is that? That's a statement that Jesus did it. That by, by, by being tempted and suffering and dying, he accomplished all that had to be done in order to rescue man, in order to deliver and save man. Therefore, God had nothing else to do except to glorify him now, raise him from the dead and give him a resurrection body. That's the statement. Jesus did it. Jesus accomplished what no human being could ever accomplish. Jesus dealt with our sins. Jesus, with his blood, allowed us to be forgiven of all our sins. That's That's restoration. That's reconciliation. He accomplished it all. Therefore, God raised him from the dead. Therefore, God seated him, had him ascend into heaven. Think about it. That never happened to any other human being either. Well, you could argue that it did, but not as a resurrection, not resurrected, perfect son of God. And is seated, this never happened to anybody, in glory at the right hand of the Father. Think about it. Can you see how the story of the human race comes between the creation and the fall and then Jesus Christ, the perfect human, now at the right hand of the Father. A place that no human being had ever been. As high as human beings were originally designed to be, remember, they were to be under God. Well, Jesus Christ is now at the right, in his humanity now, at the right hand of God the Father. It's a statement. that's saying God is never going to be frustrated in his plan. As a matter of fact, he is going to get more through resurrection, notice this, than he, and he even did through creation. I'm going to write that down. But it's true, isn't it? He got more from resurrection than he ever did, even from the creation of man. Think about it. I mean, I mean, we, we, we read Psalm 8. We said, this is magnificent. I wish that's what we were now, right? Well, what he's saying is, look, it's been accomplished. There's already a human being that not only has restored everything that was lost in terms of mankind in its original design, but is going way beyond it, higher than before human being. No human being had ever, and still has ever, sat at the right hand of God the Father. Yet, in the book of, this is a preview of coming attractions, but in the book of Ephesians, not only we learned that not only is Jesus at the right hand of the Father, but God has also brought us up there with him as believers in Jesus Christ. Not everybody, but as believers in Jesus Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I couldn't resist. Hebrews 2, 5 to 18 is a magnificent passage about a man who was born, grew up, lived among other men, and died to undo all the works of the devil. And then God the Father raised him from the dead. This is all, this is all 
humanity now of Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at glory at the right hand of God the Father. For all of those reasons, I'm going to say this quite simply, because our, our study now is who is man? What is man? Now, I'm here to suggest something, and that is that Jesus is a totally different order of man. He is unique. He is one of a kind. There will There is no other human being at the right hand of God the Father. There's no other human being yet who has been raised from the dead and given a resurrection body. That body, by the way, is better than the body Adam originally had before he fell. Because Adam could die, and Jesus Christ can never die in his humanity again. He's a different kind of man. I'm saying that because once you understand that, that when we say, what is man? Now we have to ask the question, which one? Right? Which one are we talking about? Are we talking about the original creation, the original design? Are we talking about fallen man? Or are we talking about the glorified Jesus Christ in heaven? Those are three different kinds of man. And Jesus points that out. Jesus, who he is, what he accomplished, where he is, brings all of that out. That he is unique. He's the pinnacle of humanity. And he always will be. He has everything that God ever wanted a human being to be. And more and more. He's thoughtless. He's exalted. He is seated at God's right hand. And that reminds me of a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So let's just go there this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're going to answer the question, who is man? You got to start with the original design, creation in the garden, well, creation from the dust and the placement in the garden, the fall of man, fallen man. And that's who we were born as, by the way, right? Every human being is born fallen. That's, by the way, the, the lot of man. If you were to ask the man on the street, tell me about who man is, you wouldn't get a description of perfection, right? Unless somebody was delusional, right? But they would talk about the fact that, we suffer, we have pain, we get tired. These are, but these are all parts of fallen man, right? So there's the original, there's fallen, and then there's Jesus. There's more to come, but those are the three that we are seeing here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15. He who is, this is Jesus now, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, he's the king of kings. You see, we were created to be a king, over the earth, right? Sovereign. But now Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels, now has been raised to the highest place, and he's the one sovereign of the universe. The only sovereign, the king of kings and the lord of lords, who alone possesses mortality. He's unique. He dwells in unapproachable light, right hand of the Father, whom no man has seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's Jesus Christ today. But that certainly doesn't describe mankind today, does it? Of course not. So again, it's obvious that there's more than one type of humanity. Well, then who are we? Who were we? Who will we be? 
See, to get those answers, we have to go to the Bible. And we have to begin the story of the human race in the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, this is, by the way, on the sixth day of creation. A lot of things have already happened. He's created a lot of other things, light, day and night, the waters, the earth and the dry land, the plants, a lot of other things, animals. And now we have this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. By the way, if he's saying let us make man, it doesn't have to be more than one person there, right? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea. See, this is just like Psalm 8, only this is the original event. Again, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. This is the deity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Created in the image and likeness of God. That's a pretty lofty description of a, of a creation of God, right? In his very image, in his very likeness. Now, you know, later on, Adam is going to look at the woman that, that, that the Lord gave him, and he's going to say, finally, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, right? I have some, I have a, we are the, but when God looked at the human race, he said something along the same lines as now, finally, after I created the birds and the stars, now finally, I am going to create this pinnacle of my creation that is actually going to be made in my image. In my likeness, God said, our image and our likeness. And he's going to rule. After all, shouldn't he? If he's the only creation that's created in the image and likeness of God, shouldn't that creation, man, rule over all the others? Yes. So God designed man that way. He created man according to that design. And God determined that man would be the highest order of creation, of creation, right? There's no, there's no other higher order than that, than, than mankind. No other creature, not even the angels, was made in the image and likeness of God. Think about it. Because of that, God gave man authority. He was made in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, he would now have some attributes in common with God. He's not God, never will be, except for Jesus. But mankind was now going to have some things about it that were like the things who God is. Right? God is love. We can love, for example. Right? God is omniscient. Well, we're not, but we have knowledge. That's the kind of a, a smaller version of who God is. If I could put it that way, it's the wrong way of putting it. I'm at a loss of words, really. But we have attributes that you can see line up to a certain extent with who God is. 
Well, one of the things God is, is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything, including humanity, right? But God gave man authority as well. We're, we're just below God in our original design, and he said, I'm going to give this creation, man, authority. Man is going to rule over all my, this is God speaking, over all my creation on the earth and in the sky and in the sea. Why? Because I created man in my own image and likeness. I'm sovereign over all things, God said, in the heavens, on the earth and under the earth, material and immaterial. So God said, I'm sovereign over all. I am going to sort of give a a lower version of sovereignty to my highest creation, the one created in my own image and likeness. And this is how God originally created the human race. It's verse 28. Three words. We may very well just stop with those three words. I will read the passage. What are the three words that begin verse 28? God blessed them. That was God's original plan, by the way. After he created man, after he put him in this position, this high position of ruling over the things of the earth and the things of the sky and the things of the sea, what was next? Blessing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. That's all God ever wanted to do to the human race was bless us. That is something to think about this week. I want you to think about the lies that are given about God. How could God do this, right? Have you ever heard that? Of course you have. How could God do that? You know, what could God ever allow one of his creation to go to a really bad place? I'm saying really bad place because we've got kids, but you know what I'm talking about. Could God, why would God do that? Where was God on September 11th? Why do I have this ache and pain? Why don't I have a job? It's all God's fault. How could it be God's fault? When God's design was to was pure blessing. That's the only thing he ever wanted to do was bless man. God blessed them. God blessed them. That's who God is. Okay? This other stuff that happened is not God's design. God's design for humans was what? To bless them. Real simple. To give. To give and give and give and give. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Notice, and fill all blessing, right? He's, he's just his kind of overwhelming blessing. Every blessing in the natural world. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue. This is yours. Fill it. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea. Rule over the birds of the sky. Rule over every living thing that moves on the earth. That was God's original design. Now I'm hearing in the heavens. God's God's bells in his choir saying, Amen. Amen. Why don't you stop there this morning? That's why I will. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Father, that even despite all that we go through, all the things that have happened to the human race, all we got to do to understand who you really are and what you really want from mankind is to go back to the beginning and to hear those three amazing words, God blessed them. Help us this week to keep that in mind. That's who you really are. Think about all, help us to think about all you had to do in order to get us in the place 
where you could fulfill this to us again and even higher, even higher, because we know that you've now blessed us not only with every natural blessing, but with every spiritual blessing as well. We thank you so much for this. We know it's all because of Jesus, and we just praise and honor and glorify and worship and give thanks for Jesus Christ this morning, as always. It's in his name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.